Welcome everyone back to another episode of the Team Blaney Podcast. My name is Adam Rogers, and alongside me is co-host Steve Mez. If you're not familiar with us, the Team Blaney Podcast is brought to you by fans for fans. Steve and I have been diehard followers of the Blaney Racing family for about two decades. Today, we closely follow third-generation driver Ryan Blaney, who pilots the number 12 Ford Mustang for Team Penske on the NASCAR Cup Series circuit. Each week on the podcast, we will review Ryan's latest NASCAR race and then preview the race for the upcoming weekend, offering news, notes, statistics, and analysis. Steve, we're back again with another episode of the Team Blaney podcast, and we are fresh off this week from the Dry Dean 400 at Dover International Speedway. Yeah, what a race. I know last week I was kind of harsh with Dover, but truthfully, realistically, um, in a way, I was right. That's why uh, (laughs) I, I say what a race. I'm being sarcastic. The fans like it, and... I understand there's the the mythology of the of the track, but for the most part, if you really watched it and watched all the different people, there wasn't a lot of position change uh, early in the race. Uh, the you know without any practice or anything, those first couple laps, of course, the cars that aren't set up proper they drop back, and there's a little bit of shift there. But once you get mid race, everybody's locked into what they've got going, and after the restarts happen, you maybe gain a spot or two in a restart, and then that's it. You might be a half second uh, behind somebody and a tenth or two tenths better, but if you're running the same line, it got to be one of those things again where you couldn't pass them if you're running the same line. And if your car wasn't that much better, you weren't going to overtake the guy in front of you. All right, so here's my theory on Dover, and I've mentioned this before in, in some other episodes about this track kind of being one of my favorites that I would play in virtual NASCAR racing, whether I racing or on uh, the NASCAR heat games on the PlayStation was that it's a really fun track to play. And then I also hear a lot of people, especially people, folks that call in uh, on the radio over the week when uh, leading up to the race. And then immediately after the race, it, people that go there and experience it in person seem to really enjoy the experience we always hear this bristol on steroids thing where it's it's you know it's it's on the concrete it's a little bit bigger the the speeds are high the restarts uh can be a little bit crazy they're a little bit more similar to um maybe a restart at a mile and a half track where it can can spread out even in the the com the contained confines that are uh, the monster mile there so i'm kind of getting this sense that it's it's one of those tracks that it's it's an atmosphere thing it's you kind of have to be there in person and the people that do go really enjoy it what i did notice in this race yeah the top 10 outside of the restarts didn't really shake things up too much um there's a little strategery going on toward the end of the race that did shake the lineup up as far as bringing some guys from mid-pack up to the front um but I, from what I understand, is it's from people that were there, it seems like there was some passing going on in that mid-pack. But TV, just with the speeds at this track and trying to keep up with the what's going on with the leaders, I don't think they had a lot of time to spend on what was going back, going on back in the middle of the pack. So there might have been a little bit more action happening there. But as far as once you get into clean air as a leader, one of those top four or five guys, someone's going to check out. And it was pretty much the the Hendrick cars, as we saw, just kind of traded the lead throughout the race, except for, unfortunately, reigning champion Chase Elliott. He did finish in the top five or in the top four with the rest of his teammates, but didn't lead a lap. So for me, it was an okay race. I, I don't know. Something about Dover, I think I give it a pass here and there. And uh, it turns out it was a, a fairly decent race for Ryan, but I think we'll get into it right now when we go into the race recap of the Dry Dean 400 for Ryan Blaney. Ryan Blaney, Race Recap, Dover International Speedway. 
Okay, here we go. Um, stages were 120, 240, and 400. And the uh, competition caution was at lap 35. Uh, once again, the nine to the rear uh, with issues during inspections. Uh, one of these times, they're going to get it right and maybe start where they're supposed to. Uh, Ryan started, of course, P7. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. You want to say something about the nine car in inspection? Yeah. <laughs> so what people have tried to say is to give them a pass for last week. They said it was a mistake, kind of like when Ryan had his one penalty, they accidentally left something in. So when they, they took it off off of the car, it was considered a uh, an adjustment, like an illegal adjustment or unapproved adjustment. So, I mean, I can't fault these guys for, I don't know exactly what happened this week, but I can't fault them for pushing the limits, and obviously it paid off for them last year because they did win the, the Cup Championship. So, And the history of NASCAR, it, that's what all NASCAR is all about, is trying to, to push the limits and, and kind of work into those gray areas. So, But it just seems like after a while it's the same teams over and over again. It's the Truex team, it's this nine car, and a, a few others here and there. But they're also two of the teams that are among the most successful. So I think you just kind of have to weigh things here if, if they can get past with the stage racing especially with the competition caution i think it's worth the risk in some instances but you better hope the way nascar is these days that you pass that uh post-race inspection because if not you could say goodbye to that win or that finish and your points and uh money and possibly your crew chief for a race or two Ryan starts p7 and uh, todd on the uh on the radio immediately talks to Josh about uh, how dark the track is getting. And this is that, that thing about the rubber getting laid down. And then once the uh, uh, tires heat cycle that they could pick it back up. So he just kind of wants to know how that's going so that after pit stops, uh, you know, they know where to run uh, by lap seven, the 19, uh, you know, is leading and Ryan is about 2.7 seconds back. So I, I saw that only the 24 car was the only car really making any kind of passes in the first 10 laps. Uh, lap 15, the 18 car is, is talking about being tight, and then you know their issues are about to start happening. Uh, by lap 20, uh, he's 4.1 seconds back of the lead, which is the 24 at this point, and uh, 0.5 back of uh, sixth place, which is the 18. So, you know, the 19 car fell from first to fourth in just a few laps. And like I said earlier, this is like one of those things where the beginning of the race, if they're not set up perfectly, you know, these cars kind of sort themselves out a little bit, and uh, you know the 19 car wasn't set up as good as some of the other cars were set up for the beginning of the race. And he kind of fell off. Ryan kind of gives a little feedback here before the competition cautions coming. And he says that he's two to three loose. He says, maybe he needs to land straighter uh, coming out of the turns. Basically at lap 27, the 18 pulls down out of the way because they're, they're blowing up, or at least they think they're blowing up. So Ryan does get to uh, sixth place at this point. Lap 32, Todd tells Ryan that the 11 is actually the fastest car. He's kind of letting him know, what, you know, what's, what's around him and, and what kind of line they're running basically. So lap 35 competition caution shows up and Ryan uh, says he's edgy, but getting in and he says he needs to get back, uh, back to better. So I think he's talking about getting better coming off the turn. And uh, so Todd takes a little bit of air out of the right rear uh, and a little bit of tape on the nose. Now here's, here's the thing that is going to happen all race for Ryan and for the guys up, up front. He goes in sixth, he comes out fifth. So that's where the positions really were gained by a lot of these teams during the race is on their pit stops. And we see it later on. The pass for the lead does not happen on the track. It happens in the pits. You know, once you've got the lead and you get the restart, you pretty much check out. So 
being in the clean air, being up front is, is, is key here. Like I said, goes in six, comes out fifth. Now the choose cone, once again, Fox sports, I'm going to, you know, just horrible right now with this choose cone situation. They don't show any of them anymore. They started showing them and now they don't show any of them. I don't know what their problem is. Yeah. I don't know if it's one of those things where they just, they don't feel like it's a necessary thing. Like maybe, I don't know if they have some really intense data that shows that from streaming or something that, that people flip off the channel anyway during a caution and they come back after the race has already restarted. But for me, it's one of those things I want to see, but maybe we're just kind of deep into the weeds of being a, a NASCAR fan and that interests us. But I really like it when they show the little graphic and it's like, you know, pre choose cone and after, and then the, they pop in as they, as they go. And you can kind of see my favorite thing, honestly, is looking to see just how long these guys wait to make the decision because sometimes they cut that cone pretty closely and um, you've seen people sent to the back before for running it over. I think that I think that people watching the races are more educated than they think because, come on, we all know that sometimes being in the right line on a restart is very important. Maybe not for the guy who's 20th, but the guys in the top 10, if you're four or five positions back and you choose the high line because the leader's in the high line and let's say a car with only two tires is in the low line or something, you have a better chance of getting around a couple people right on the restart initially. And I think that that's something they should show every race that they, they have a chance to. I don't understand why they're getting away from it. The Chusco and the leader took the top and Ryan ended up taking the low and they got 80 laps to go at the end of the, to the end of the stage here. So everybody's pretty much can get to the end from, from what they're saying. He's fourth after turns one and two. And uh, Todd tells him that the 24 is saying he's got no brakes, just so he knows, because in case something happens with the, the, the 24, uh, by lap 54, he's uh, up to fourth and 2.92 back of the leader, who is the five at this time. Like I said, I think the five took the lead in the pits on that pit stop. So lap 59, Ryan says he's a little better on entry, a little loose. And uh, lap 70, they've got 30 laps on tires there. Todd tells him he's got a pr- ran a pretty good lap just to kind of let him know. Uh, they're about 5.5 back of the lead. So not losing a lot of ground, but once again, not gaining any ground either. Traffic kind of slows that down a little bit. Lap 85, uh, 5.14 back of the lead. The 11 car is like half a second back. So they talk about the 11 car here and there just to kind of let them know where the 11 car is running, if he's diamonding the corner or not. And that way Ryan can try and run a similar lap, try to keep him behind him. He's 1.5 seconds back of uh, third place, the 24 car. And lap 90, Josh does tell Todd that the trek is rubbered up to about 60 to 70% mark. And uh, so Todd's going to adjust accordingly when they get to the pit stop. At lap 100, uh, the 11 passes Ryan. So he's P5 at this point. Uh, lap 105 here, Todd lets uh, Ryan know that the 4 and the 24 are backing up a little bit. So whatever their adjustments were, they weren't extremely good. At uh, lap 112, he passes the 24 to get to 4th. And at lap 115, he passes the 4 to get to 3rd. So now here's where, the, here's where the action starts. At lap uh, 120, there's a caution for the 14. And at this point, uh, Ryan is 3rd uh, place. And unbeknownst to... TV because TV catches up with us a little later. Something went through the right front, like where the right headlight or that number 12 is on the car and uh, they punched a hole. So they're, you're going to be looking at it during this next, uh, during the stage break. Uh, Larson won the stage by eight seconds. So like I said, once you got out front, you just kind of checked out. They, they pit third, they come out fourth. Uh, so he lost a spot to the nine car on pit road. You know, here comes the nine car. Um, 19 cars in the lead lap. Um, they, they said there's slight damage on the nose. Uh, the choose cone, uh, the leader goes high, Ryan goes low. 
And this, they said this, it's a small, small hole the size of like a piece of grill tape uh, where that right front headlight area is. Now, they go through a bunch of laps here. Actually, they get um, lap 129, passes the 11 on the restart, gets up to third, lap 140. He's uh, third, 3.65 back of the lead. And, you know, doing pretty well. He says it's uh, turning a little more. Todd tells him, I think fixing the hole will help him. <laughs> and Ryan says, me too. Um, at lap 158, P3, seven uh, seconds back of the lead, who's the five. At lap 168, third place, 8.5 back of uh, the five and the nine. And then lap 171 is when this caution happens. And at the same time the caution happens, Ryan's saying he's in trouble. Something's wrong, something's wrong. And they, he blew the, that right front tire. So this is where I thought, here's that Blaney luck again. That classic Blaney luck. He's running in the top five, having a solid race at a track that I didn't necessarily expect it to happen. And then something goes through the nose of his car and cuts his tire. So my immediate response to you was that. Here's that Blaney luck again. But like I said, you were immediately the first to point out he could have cut that tire under green Mm -hmm. without that caution coming out and would have been in a lot more trouble and at a place like Dover, you have any kind of trouble under green, you're a little bit screwed. Uh, just like much like what Kyle Busch earlier in the race was having engine issues and ended up going seven laps right. down uh, while they tried to address the, the issues there. So, one, he could have blown the tire and ended up into the wall. And two, he could have blown the tire under green and they just pitted or limped the car back to pit road, lost multiple laps, and the race is over. So... So there is Steve again with that power of positivity, keep, keeping me, uh, keeping me straight during this race, and kind of knowing that not all was lost and things could have yeah, been a lot worse. That's why I think this is a championship team. They make uh, they things like this happen and they recover quickly. They pit before the pits open, so they know they're going to go to tail end, and they come in like a couple different times. Uh, you know, they get caught up, come back in. Um, they're working on the front nose, and then they find that piece in there and get that piece out of there, too. So the debris, uh, says, may have cut the tire. Uh, is back to 19th, which is the last car in the lead lap. At lap 180, with the restart and everything, the five still takes the lead. And he's stuck in traffic in 19th um, at lap uh, 195. Lap 200, about 17 seconds back of the lead is the five. And at this point, Hendrick has now established that, that they're one through one, two, three. And then uh, I think the 48 is in fifth place at this point, but they, they quickly changed that within a couple laps. And they're running one, two, three, four by lap 211. Oh, it's actually lap 208 TV finally explained what happened. They finally showed the debris on TV. The, the, I think it was Jamie Little had it in her hand and uh, explained why the, you know, why the tire uh, got cut up and everything. Uh, lap 228, he passes the 23 for 18th. And lap 236, he passes the 22 for 17th. And then the next lap passes the 17. He's, so he's up to 16th by lap 237. And to stage two, Larson wins the stage and Ryan is 16th. This was really good. It was good to see him kind of passing some of those guys. At this point, the 22 is in a little bit of a free fall. They'll rebound a little bit later in this race. But it was getting concerning because there was a point where Ryan and a couple of these other guys, these big-name guys, were on the same front stretch as the leader, Larson, and essentially in danger. If there was a couple more laps in this stage, it could have gotten a little bit dicey. So he lives to fight another day after after that damage. And like you said, early on in that stage, kind of got stuck back in traffic early on after that restart got stuck back in traffic there until right at the end when we started passing a couple of guys it's interesting on this uh, end of stage two discussion between todd and ryan um todd kind of like gives him two options basically and if we go one way we're going to do one thing if we go the other way it's going to do the other thing basically 
And Ryan kind of makes the call actually and says that they'll take the air pressure and then one run down on one uh, round down on the track bar. And uh, that's what they end up going with here. Here again, we're pitting 16th. We come out 13th, three spots on pit road. Okay. Crew has been good all race long. I think there was one or two times there where they lost maybe a spot, but I mean, they're making some fairly big gains throughout this race. And of course, like I said early on, this is where a lot of cars making their positions, three spots on pit road there. And, uh, you know, we know where he finishes, so... This is also a very difficult pit road. One, to get on and off of. And two, it's very narrow. And three, the boxes are also very narrow and close together. So it's amazing that some of these crews, like you'll, we'll talk about later with Bowman's crew and then Ryan's crew and some other ones, kind of chose this race. I mean, Ryan's crew's been great the last handful of races, but to really step up their game on one of the toughest places to pit uh, on the circuit. Interesting is their, their pit selection. Um, they had an, uh, an open space behind him, and in front of him was the 77 car. So most of the race he had an easy in, and the car behind him, there was no car behind him because of the open space. So it made it even easier to pull in to make his stops. He's asking about what are the other cars complaining about. So he kind of wants to know if he's not the only one having it, the certain types of issues. Uh, the choose cone, the leader, the five at this point, takes the high, and, and Ryan takes the high. Uh, by lap 252, he's P11. So the restart, you know, once again, that's three game positions on the restart if you can. And having that high line, he was able to pass a couple cars on the low line because the leader got the gets the good start. Lap 263, the Hendrick cars are all one through four. Lap 265, Ryan says the car is coming to me. It's uh, He's just trying to take care of his stuff. So he's just trying to run some consistent laps now, not racing guys around him but racing the track. Todd says, copy that. Ryan says it's tight on initial throttle at lap 286. So uh, they're kind of getting ready for some sort of pit stop. And of course, there's actually a caution that comes at lap 300 for the 10 car. And uh, that was quite a hit uh, for uh, Eric Amarola. Uh, so this, this caution, Ryan uses the term disconnected uh, to describe the car. And uh, Todd asks for them to make sure that they're full of fuel because I think they're if it stays green, they're thinking about being able to go the whole uh, 100 laps. Pitting, uh, they go in 11th and come out 9th. And the choose cone, the leader takes the top and Ryan takes the top. So there's a restart at lap 308. It's interesting that he described the car as disconnected because Truex, who started on the pole for this race and who myself and probably several other fantasy owners out there uh, started him and potentially picked him to win, uh, <laughs> He free-falled through the field, and one of the things that he said during the race, and I believe post-race, was that he felt like each wheel was going in a different direction. So I, I almost kind of wonder if when Ryan says that he, the car felt disconnected, if that was anything similar to what the feeling that Truex kind of had. And it's kind of odd for Truex because they talked about the 750 horsepower package. He's kind of been the king of that, and he's won at Dover in the past. But uh, he and Brad Keselowski were both out to lunch for this race, so. Uh, but lap, uh, lap 311, he's up to eighth. And uh, lap 314 with a caution for the 38. Um, now Todd tells him we're in full save mode here for the gas. But everybody comes in a pit, so they play follow the leader. They come in a pit. Uh, they go in eighth and come out tenth. And the choose cone on this one, the leader, uh, is the 48. This is where the 48 takes the lead. He takes the lead on the pit stop. Fastest pit stop of the year. I know there, there was a point when the 12 crew held that distinction a few races ago but yeah i mean these guys are getting getting these stops done well under 12 seconds at this point and i watched the stop and it didn't look like i saw anything specific about it it's just they executed really well and that team had that's statistically also been the fastest pit crew 
in the in the cup series all season long so there's going to be tracks where it's tough to pass and they pass in the pits and obviously it's going to be on on bowman here to keep the lead after the restart but if you have a pit crew that puts you out in front of your competition uh that's a major major help the leader takes the top ryan takes the bottom and at lap 322 he's up to p10 324 caution for debris so they stay out at this point uh, once again, they re, re get together with the choose cone leader takes the top and Ryan does a swear word here of some sort on the radio. And I think he miscounted or, you know, cause he's listening to Todd, but he ended up in the top lane. And now, and the only reason I say that is because, um, I think at this time Suarez and Wallace had done some things with strategy and they ended up being in front of Ryan and in that lane and hard enough to pass once the restart, like, you know, once it spreads out. But on a restart, if you got a car or two that's a little slower in front of you and it slows your line down, the guys below you might get that spot or two on you. And I think that's what ends up happening here on the restart. Uh, lap 331, P9, and then the 11 uh, helped move Ryan out of the way. And we saw that on TV and... Uh, you know, I know it's go time, but uh, everybody else raced pretty clean most of the race, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that the 11 was really racing around him a lot during the day, so I don't know that there was any bad blood between the two of them. But yeah, the 11 pulled up behind him and did not waste any time and and uh, moving Ryan out of the way. Luckily, he makes another good save. It wasn't as crazy of a save as he had to make at Kansas, but um, still makes a save nonetheless. Can't remember if the 11's contact with uh, his driver, Bubba Wallace, happens after this or it happened earlier in the race. That was, but, that was earlier in the race. But yeah, yeah, they ended up racing pretty tightly together together again as 11 started to move up through the field here, too. So he uh, just was a little bit impatient. But I guess he might be a little impatient after you know winning seven races last year and has a goose egg on the board right now. So at lap 340, the 22 passes, so Ryan is actually uh, P11 at this point. At uh, lap 350, of course, the Hendrick cars are all one through four. At lap 365, the 41 passes, and Ryan is in 12th at this point, about 14 seconds back of the lead. So from the last 30 laps, that's pretty much it. Ryan ends up 12th, and Bowman ends up winning. For the most part, a really good day considering what happened. And, and that's what I said earlier about rebounding. This is a championship-style team. Something bad happens, and they kept it on the track. They actually kept the lead lap, which is pretty excellent. They battled their way up there with the damage. Who knows? The, the car may not have been operating as good as it was before the damage because, um, I mean, they blew a tire. It didn't rip the car open, uh, which was you know, really lucky too, because a lot of times that tire rips can rip that, that front area apart. And then you end up, you know, banging on it with hammers and stuff like that to get it back into shape. So, you know, for everything that's going on and these finishes aren't giving them great numbers, they're still doing a great job when there's some sort of incident and recovering from it. Yeah, definitely one of those races where it could have been worse. The damage could have been a lot worse. They could have ended up mid-pack. I mean, I, if after all of that happened, I probably wouldn't have faulted them for finishing, you know, 15th to 20th or something like that and falling back a little bit, especially at a track like this where you can lose so much time trying to make repairs. Um, it was unfortunate that it happened while he was running in third. It's actually kind of odd that this race, someone had done an analysis this past week on how debris cautions have almost been eliminated 
from the sport since they started the caution clock where you only had a certain amount of time to repair your car and you couldn't kind of go out there with a jumped up car. I don't want to totally blame the 14 for all the debris cautions throughout the day, but it's a pretty decent chance that the debris that went through Ryan's car could have come from that 14 car. And I don't know if he dropped anything else throughout the rest of this race, but we what we had kind of a couple of debris cautions during this race, but it's been a long time since that's really been a factor outside of um, just, you know, the giant uh, hot dog wrapper that got on his car <laughs> during that, the, the Kansas race, I think it was. Though That's not that's not a debris that will bring caution out, but that's debris that will blow an engine. So yeah. overall, like you said, championship-style team, able to come back from adversity. Alex Bowman goes on to win the race. It's his second of the year. Kind of vaults him back up into the standings a little bit there because he had a stretch of pretty bad races since his previous win. And... Um, so yeah, second race win of the year, fourth of his career, Ryan finishes 12th. He does fall slightly in the point standings, uh, from fifth to sixth, but he is just two points back of Kyle Larson, uh, with 136 or, and then 136 points off of Denny Hamlin, who's in first. So in the cup series standings, so didn't fall back that far. And he's actually, um, just a handful. So Joey Logano is in the fourth spot in the standings. Uh, 132 back of Hamlin, so just a, a handful of points there, going all the way up to fourth. So Ryan's sitting pretty, as I would I would say in the point standings, and had an overall decent day at Dover. Could have been better, could have been worse. Um, yeah, the, it's funny the uh, playoff point standings they've showed them again now, and and now some of the other uh, like Fox is actually picking up on it too. I just saw it tonight, and they're including the owners' point or the um, the stage points and everything on there, and he's still four, fourth. Um, with all those stage points he has, you know, you've got the Truex and then Bowman. So, you know, I, the regular season standings are great, but a couple more stage wins and another victory or two, you know, move your stuff up. So that first round of the playoffs, you don't even have to worry about those first three tracks, you know? So that's the key of the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. And that's one of the things that you're seeing Kyle Larson in this race, won two more stages. So he has six stage wins on the season, Plus, he has that victory, so he's going to be pretty well off once they get to the the first round of the playoffs there. So like you said, a couple more stage wins would do Ryan some good. But like I said, overall, decent day. Could have been a little bit better at Dover, but I think we're finished up with Ryan's race recap for the Dry Dean 400 at Dover International Speedway. This week in NASCAR history. Okay, Steve, we're back with the segment that was voted the most popular segment of the Team Blaney podcast by our listeners this week in NASCAR history. I'm basing that off of my own user data. (laughs) Kicking it off May 22nd, 1966, Marvin Ponch quits the Ford camp and drives a petty engineering Plymouth to victory in Charlotte's World 600. And get this, only 11 cars cars in the field of 44 – finish the race yeah 600 miles back then was a lot harder on those cars and engines a test of man and machine and often machine lost (laughs) i guess machine didn't even win yeah moving on may 21st 1971 the lightly funded independent drivers stage a mini boycott of the 100 mile nascar winston cup grand national race at Asheville, north carolina protesting the payoff structure and a lack of any appearance money. Seven drivers pull out of the race in the early stages, leaving only five cars running at the finish. Richard Petty wins by four laps over Elmo Langley. 
May 20th, 1979, Neil Bonnet making his third start for the Wood Brothers, drives around Cale Yarborough with three laps to go, winning the Mason-Dixon 500 at Dover Downs International Speedway. Let's jump ahead to May 17, 1981. Jody Ridley drives the Juni Donlevy 4 to a surprise win in the Mason-Dixon 500 at Dover. It is the first NASCAR Winston Cup Grand National win for Ridley and team owner Juni Donlevy, who has been fielding cars since 1950. Controversy erupts due to a scoring communications difficulty that may have taken the victory away from Bobby Allison. And then finally rounding out this week's edition of This Week in NASCAR History, May 20th, 1984, Richard Petty drives his Mike Curb-owned Pontiac to victory in the Budweiser 500 at Dover for his 199th career NASCAR Winston Cup Grand National Triumph. Petty outruns Tim Richmond by four seconds. Thank you again for tuning in to another segment of This Week in NASCAR History. Tune in again next week for more interesting dates throughout the history of NASCAR. Ryan Blaney, Weekend Preview. Circuit of the Americas. Okay, Steve, we're heading to the great state of Texas. Set on 1,500 acres in the rolling hills just outside downtown Austin, Texas, Circuit of the Americas has been hosting racing, action sports, and concerts since 2012. The 20-turn, 3.41-mile counterclockwise racetrack takes advantage of the naturally undulating landscape, including a 133-foot hill that greets drivers going into turn one. Tune into the Echo Park Texas Grand Prix Sunday, May 23rd. You can catch it at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on FS1, on the radio with PRN, and also on Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. And then one thing, this again, Steve, that kind of plagued us a little bit earlier in the season is that weather may be a factor and it always seems to be a factor when we get to these road courses with AccuWeather reporting about a 51% chance of rain in Austin, Texas on Sunday. That's just from my own research, but a lot of the drivers, a lot of the teams, a lot of the crew chiefs are already kind of saying we're going to be busting out the rain tires at some point this weekend, so be prepared for that, which, again, I think is this just, I mean, this hasn't even happened yet, so the skies could part. It could be perfectly fine this weekend at Circuit of the Americas, but it's like, again, another super hyped race going down here for the first time, going to the track that, you know, Formula One has been racing at in the U.S. the last couple of years. NASCAR finally comes to town to have their big first race at COTA, and the forecast is bad again, and this just keeps happening over and over again. I feel so sad for the just the whole sport and NASCAR in general as we go. But again, it could, could not rain. Maybe we'll come back next week and we'll say that it was beautiful. But I still am a little bit excited uh, to check out this race this weekend at Circuit of the Americas. You know, rain or no rain, um, it's all learning curve. I mean, um, there are going to be some guys running double duty, running the Xfinity race to get to get get more experience ryan and bubba are going to be in the booth for the xfinity race so they'll get to see the whole whole race from the uh from the tv booth i would love to see it just be dry the whole weekend just because they're going to be learning on where all the breaking points and the passing zones and so on and so forth are in a practice and in the qualifying yeah and this is one of those races that you just mentioned this is a new track for the cup series so they will have a 50 minute practice session and that might sound like enough time, but when you're at a track that's over three miles in a road course, 
you probably only have two or three swings that you can take at this car to try and improve some things. I also know that's why a lot of these guys have been really wearing out uh, their manufacturer simulators probably over the last month trying to get some laps here, probably wearing out their uh, iRacing rigs at home too, just trying to learn maybe even just the turns. And one thing you were mentioning, and I just mentioned it in the little kind of history lesson on Coda, is that that first turn, they're heading up a steep hill going into that and you were kind of explaining you're doing some research on that where it's going to be kind of tough to see that that apex of the corner so it's going to be a little bit difficult with a lot of the elevation changes they have at a track they've never been at before yeah i mean as they get up to to turn one like like it's the hairpin pretty much and you know you want to be kind of on the outside going around so you can carry some speed but you have to know going up the hill you have to look for a point that's going to be your breaking point you know, there's like a little box on the side, a light box of some sort on the right-hand side that some guys are going to be able to see. The first restart is going to be a learning experience for 40 cars going up that hill and who's going to break and who's going to try to make a pass right, right away. You know, hopefully there's not a calamity going into turn one, but uh, it comes back down, slightly downhill the rest of the way as it goes out to turn 11. Uh, basically, the track winds its way all the way to its furthest point at turn 11. Uh, turn two is a right-hander, three, four, five, are like back and forth and i think nascar is bringing the turtles and and laying them out in those areas so that um they can't kind of cheat their way through those turns they have to kind of go you know uh, if you look at a formula one car and what they do with those turns it's going to be a lot different than what a nascar car is going to do in those turns yeah and that's what one of the nascar officials was saying this week specifically was that you know formula one races there those cars just are not really designed to go off track at all maybe just a little bit um but what they kind of described the way nascar drivers are and you saw this at the daytona road course and they they had to fix it earlier this year by adding some more turtles was that if if these guys can find a way to cut a corner even if it's dirt tracking it a little bit <laughs> uh through the through the turn they're gonna do it because they know it's not really gonna hurt their car um, it did kind of turn parts of that Daytona road course for the clash into a little bit of a dirt track, though. So they did, from what I understand, packed up and brought a ton of turtles, uh, a couple hundred of them, down to Circuit of the Americas and have installed them. So that way they can kind of keep these stock cars on track and where they should be. And as you also saw at Daytona and some of these other road courses, if you impact those turtles, uh, specific ones, it's going to do some damage to your car. So you better lay off. So they'll come around a right-hander, seven, eight, nine. It's like, again, it's more or less like S's. They're little rights and lefts. And uh, then 10, get, after you get through turn 10, a short left, it kind of starts to go on a little bit of a straightaway to turn 11. And this is where I think you're going to see some of the passing happen. Going up into 11, and uh, it's another hairpin turn coming back, uh, going back the other direction. And uh, once again, I've seen some video where guys took it a little wider, some guys tried to do it where they braked up underneath somebody with better braking. But the thing is, is if you brake and you don't brake well enough uh, uh, and get your car pointed the other direction, that guy who's going wider is still going to have a little bit more momentum. So coming out of 11 going is a long straightaway where they're probably going to get it up to about 180 miles an hour. And that's where I think where you're going to see the passing. Whoever does a better job at 11, you know, when you're racing with somebody, and coming out of 11 can carry the momentum, and you might be able to go around or pull pull away from somebody there. It heads back towards the start-finish line, and you've got this series of turns that are you know, like a U-shape, uh, a left-hand turn for 12, and then 13, 14 are right-handers. So you've made like, the, like a U, basically, out of it. 
And uh, then it's 15 is a quick left-hander that's almost a hairpin there. 16, 17, 18, head around the tall tower you see there. Um, 19 is the left-hander. And then 20 is another left-hander that heads you back up toward the start-finish line. And then that's, of course, where pit road entry will also be um, right there at turn 20. Uh, I talked with Josh like real briefly, and he says that they're probably going to have to use like three spotters to cover the, the track um, because you, even though if there's a guy in that tower, uh, you cannot catch a view of the whole place basically because of all the different undulations. Uh, and uh, like I said, at turn one, it's the highest point. And by turn 11, it comes down to near one of the lower points. And then as you're coming back around the track, coming the other direction, you're, you're going back toward coming up that hill again. So there's just a lot of elevation change. A lot of complicated turns, um, you know, so rhythm once you're spread out and uh, you're going to see guys just make mistakes. And, and it's not going to be on purpose, <laughs> you know, you miss a breaking point or you just don't set up the turn correctly with the turn before it. And, uh, you know, so the guy who's the most consistent for the most of the day will probably be the guy that, that – uh, that wins out hopefully we don't see a lot of carnage i know it's possible that on a couple of these restarts since they're gonna have a couple of restarts you could see everybody coming up to turn one and somebody's like i'm gonna make my hay right now and get up underneath three guys and move somebody out of the way and so forth but uh hopefully they we don't do too much of that i'd love to see it kind of get spread out and see guys who can drive a track like this and make the moves at the right places now i saw a video of Kyle Busch in a, in, in just in a Toyota. It wasn't in, in an actual race car uh, that he was filming for somebody. And he, he made the statement that, you know, some turns, some people think that uh, some turns are better for passing, other turns you shouldn't try to. But he's learned that every turn is a good place to pass somebody. So that kind of tells you his mindset, um, that he doesn't care where he's at on the track. If you make a mistake, he's going to pass you, and sometimes he's going to make you make the mistake by passing you. So I think that's the guy who wins the race, the guy who can be aggressive and uh, not you know, get his car in trouble. Super, super technical track that they're facing this weekend at Circuit of the Americas in a lot of unknowns. I mean, they, the guys have tried to find a way to get down there. There's a lot of cup drivers that all of a sudden have been running sports cars there uh, over the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months here, just trying to get some experience just on the track, even though they're not going to be in a car that they're used to. We got guys like Kevin Harvick jumping into an Xfinity car um, that it's going to be the number five car for one of those teams down there that um, it's, say, it's saying it's being entered by that team, and it's probably a Stuart Haas racing prepared car um, that's using the five cars owner points to get into the race. So um, several guys have found ways that way. They found their way into the, the truck series race there as well, just trying to get any kind of track time at all. I mean, they can run the sim all they want, but once you're actually on the track in real life, I think is when you get the idea of where, where it is a good place to pass. Uh, I know that our episode will drop Wednesday morning. So if you catch this Wednesday during the day, Wednesday night um, on uh, on FS1, there'll be the um, the iRacing um, series. So yeah, a lot of the cup guys are going to have a chance to race it uh, online at least uh, Wednesday night. So, yeah, any way you can get some sort of experience or time with it. But uh, 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 Saturday, um, Saturday, what time are they going to do that practice? Uh, 10 o'clock. Saturday morning is going to be the ultimate. That 50 minutes 
uh, those guys are going to see what it's like from the inside of the car and see what their cars can do. Hopefully, they're going to be working on. Hopefully, they'll be working on the setup and not have to worry about actually how to how to how to drive the track. But a lot of guys are going to be learning how to drive the track, basically. And it looks like it's supposed to be on FS2, so it's going to be an interesting weekend trying to find some of the stuff on TV. Yeah, yeah. It's in, as you kind of just briefly mentioned the iRacing, the Pro Invitational Series. It's actually Ryan's return to the Pro Inv- Invitational Series. He missed that last race where they kind of debuted the next gen cars because he was at Tech. Texas, right? I think he was at Texas doing. Texas. So he was in Texas, not at Circuit of the Americas, but he was in Texas doing a tire test with the next gen car. So he missed that last Pro Invitational race, um, but he will be again back in the 12 car, uh, maybe with some help from Josh Williams being his iRacing tutor again. We'll see if that any of that pays off. So again, if you want to tune in this week to the Echo Park Texas Grand Prix Sunday, May 23rd, 2:30 p.m. Eastern Time. FS1 is where you can watch the race. You can hear it on PRN, Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio. Weather might be a factor. And Ryan, historically, really, really good road racer. Steve brought up this stat to me a little bit earlier in the before we started the show, just kind of reminding me that in, four, in uh, 14 or 13 starts on road courses during his cup career, he's come out of there with seven top 10 finishes. Uh, earlier this year, he nearly won the clash at Daytona, if you unless you've blocked that memory out of your mind of uh, the reigning champ kind of taking Ryan out in the last turn uh, and both of their chances out from winning the clash. Uh, He did come back and finish 15th at the Daytona road course race. But prior to that, he finished fifth at the Charlotte Roval. He finished eighth at the Roval in 2019, fifth at Watkins Glen, third at Sonoma, going all the way back to his first place finish in that debut race at the Roval in 2018. So Ryan Blaney is one of those guys. I know it's a lot of unknowns this weekend, a track that they've never been to, but he does come there with a lot of road racing chops, and it's something to look forward to this weekend yeah. in the Echo Park Texas we, Grand Prix. Yeah, this weekend for TV-wise and for all the different series, because that's the best part about this weekend, is you've got all the different series running. Friday, the Camper Wheel trucks are on the track at 3 o'clock. The Xfinity cars are on the on the track at four o'clock for practice saturday morning camping world trucks qualifying at nine o'clock ten o'clock is the practice for the cup cars eleven o'clock is xfinity qualifying the races on saturday one o'clock is the is the uh, the truck race four o'clock is the xfinity race the cup qualifying is 11 o'clock sunday morning so really kind of be you know conscious of this is a whole different weekend schedule than what we're used to when when we do have um, what uh, Josh called a a proper weekend, you know, where we've got practices and qualifying. He he called it a proper weekend. I really like that term. Be wary of what time things are going on. Like, um, you know, when you're you're messing with your NASCAR Fantasy Live uh, lineup, uh, qualifying ain't till Sunday morning. So So now that we've previewed this race at Circuit of the Americas, why don't we jump back again to our Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League and take a look at what we did, who we picked for the previous race at Dover, and then maybe we'll discuss a little bit about who we think might be good picks going into this weekend at Coda. I know for me, I thought I was a genius going into this race. I thought I picked all the right guys, and I did pick a couple of good guys, so I'm just going to go through my starting lineup. And I had Kyle Larson, obviously ran well. Christopher Bell, who ran really well at Dover during his career in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, had Austin Dillon, who this RCR team between Dillon and Reddick have been running up towards the front of the field. I thought this was another place where I can not necessarily use a huge name driver, 
um, and get some points out of it. I thought this pick was a lock. Martin Truex Jr. coming off of his win in the previous week in the, under the 750 horsepower package. And then I picked Daniel Suarez because another guy has an Xfinity win at Dover. I thought I had everything lined up, had myself a good lineup going into this. And a couple of those picks paid off. Um, Suarez was a surprise. He used a little bit of strategy to get up there toward the front in Dover, but then he held his own after that, which was pretty impressive. Handling started to go away a little bit towards the end of that race, and he comes home in the ninth position. But second top ten for that track house team, which I've already spoken about them on this podcast before being impressed with what they're doing but really impressive run for that team austin Dillon ran fairly well didn't really have the finish uh larson obviously finished pretty well martin truex ended up being a bust pick for me that was definitely a wasted pick so that was that was a little bit unfortunate who did you uh who did you go with i had the harvick um truex byron logano and larson so um you know i had uh bunch of guys who finished up in the top 10 except for truix um i did not pick up a lot of stuff with bonus picks and i think that was where where my downfall was um i had hamlin winning the race and that did not happen um i had byron as the top chevrolet uh didn't happen harvick as the top ford and um i think actually it was logano i think ended up being the top ford so hamlin toyota gibbs i try to pick those things together as race winner manufacturer and team and um, struck out on all that so kind of dropped me a little bit uh, point wise and dropped me in the standings a little bit too let's take a look at the top 10 points getters during this Dryden 400 at dover in the team blaney nascar fantasy live league in first place at dover we had blaney kicks beep we had hamilton in second with 239 points we had sam speedsters in third we had david lazaro in fourth we had Gitterbugs in fifth. We had a three-way tie for fifth here with Spider Monkey and Doug K0525. I'm a winner in eighth. Blaney's Daisy in ninth. And then a tie here as well for tenth with Go Larson and Lap This, both with 221 points. Um, so yeah, this is the first time in a while where we're coming all the way down here to the 23rd position where Mez12, uh, one of the former uh, heavy hitters in our NASCAR Fantasy Live League, all the way down in 23rd with 201 points, uh, finishing at Dover. And I'm not even going to mention where I was at. I'm down here in the 30s somewhere. So that was that was unfortunate for me. Uh, you had a kind of a mediocre run, but not too bad. So let's take a look now at the overall Team Blaney NASCAR Fantasy Live League standings. In the first position, we have Moon Cup with 2,555 points. In second, we have Clyde's Chicken Pit Racing. In third, we have Doug K0525. In fourth, I think moving down one or two positions, right? Mez12 with 2,501 points. In fifth, we have I'm a Winner. In sixth, we have Blaney's Daisy. In seventh, we have Go Larson. In eighth, we have the Dalai Lama 4. In ninth, we have Rochi 12. In tenth, we have Supermod with 2,388 points. I still contend that I'm going to get back up there and make a run in the playoffs, but we'll see where we go. So, Dover there. Dover's in the past. Who are you looking at as maybe some picks or your kind of lock pick going into this weekend at coda um 
Chase Elliott finally wins one. I was going to say, the nine car. This is probably the time, right? Yeah, this is the time. Uh, the only thing I was, um, and that's why I brought it up earlier about when the practice is and when the uh, qualifying is. Usually I like to go ahead and just set the lineup knowing where they're starting. You know, on Wednesday, we know where they're starting. This week, we don't know where they're starting. So I may not set my lineup until after I see practice and qualifying old school. And uh, maybe Sunday at about one o'clock, I'll set the lineup. That's a really good point, and that will just fall right into my my way of doing things because I often, five minutes before the race, I'm setting my lineup. I'm the biggest procrastinator you could ever meet when it comes to stuff like that, so uh, that's why I don't even play fantasy football anymore because I can never remember to set my lineup. But NASCAR, it's like I know i got to do it, so I'm kind of opposite. I wait till the last minute. My wife is already setting her lineup at the beginning of the week, but then she is just constantly changing drivers throughout the week and is consistently tends to pull a guy out of her lineup that ends up winning the race or finishing in the top five Uh, and she's always like that's the last person that i changed before the race started she's also one of the ones that just gets to it a little bit too late after the stage two ends that she can't go back to the garage either Uh, whereas i constantly waste my garage pick i don't even i don't even worry about it. it seems like once i get into the race i kind of forget about fantasy stuff just a little bit until it's over so chase elliott yeah that's one of those guys to take a look at um truex is another pretty decent road course racer um again we have qualifying so it's not a lock on who's going to start up in the front of this field or who would start in the back based on the previous week they actually have to qualify in this week so i don't know that i'm going to start ryan in this race just because of a lot of the unknowns and i've used him uh, a few times here and there aj allmendinger is going to be in this race but i wouldn't necessarily recommend him for a fantasy pick just because points wise i don't think he I don't know how it works in fantasy exactly, but I know in in regular the regular points he doesn't accrue any points for stage finishes or anything else like that. So um, I don't know if he's if he's worth picking, but he might be one of those guys that comes up there. Though again, I don't even know. Almondinger has mentioned that he hasn't really even raced at Coda, which kind of surprised me. So lots of guys, lots of guys here and there that 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 could come up there. McDowell's a good road racer. Demetadetto every once in a while they keep saying he's a good road racer, but I don't think he's really shown up in the last few races. Suarez, uh, Suarez could be a good one this weekend. I, you know, like I said, I really just want to see practice um, Saturday and then the qualifying on Sunday because um, you can, you know, look really good and then get to Sunday morning and slip up in one turn, mess up the whole lap, and instead of starting third or fourth, uh, you know, thirtieth, and have to go through the melee that may happen a couple different times in front of you. Uh, this is definitely a track position kind of thing. Um, you know, pit road uh, is going to be an issue because they they didn't have a wall there. So they're putting one up or they're putting some sort of barrier up uh, for them to have to go up and over. You know, so all kind of things are going to change. Um, and, and you're going to see some strategy calls with tires and, and, and fuel situations. Um, it, you know, it's a you race it backwards kind of a thing, you know, for for fuel strategy maybe so um road courses are always so much fun because of all those different factors come into play and uh, they're going to be going to a bunch of road courses in the next month or two so you know this this is going to be the most interesting of the bunch because this is unknown they've never been there for any of the three series and uh everybody's going to be learning everything friday saturday sunday 
So if you listen to the Team Blaney podcast and you participate in our NASCAR Fantasy Live League, I see you guys out there. Some of you even commented last week uh, somebody was pretty proud of themselves for besting Mez in fantasy. Uh, they were pretty excited about that. So go ahead, uh, tell us who you're picking this week. Who are your lock picks? Tweet us your lineup. We'll go ahead and retweet that out there. Uh, make Try to make this as fun as we possibly can. So, Steve, one other thing we would talk about before we wrap up the podcast today is we, as we recorded this today, we kind of had some breaking news involving Team Penske and the, the circle around there and uh, Ryan and his teammates. Um, so the news kind of broke. Uh, it's a report by motorsport.com and the reporter Jim Utter saying that Brad Keselowski is in talks with Roush Fenway Racing to leave Team Penske at the end of this season and join Roush Fenway Racing in 2022, forming a new team, Roush Fenway Keselowski Racing, giving him an ownership stake in that organization and him potentially taking over the number six car for that organization. Again, leaving Team Penske, becoming another one of the driver owners, Denny Hamlin's another one that's out there uh, on the Cup Series circuit right now and maybe possibly setting himself up for future ownership roles in that team. I think, again, none of this is official. Kozlowski, Penske, all those guys have kind of refused comment politely on this story. I've read before that there might be some clauses in Brad's contract where he can't necessarily announce or talk about this stuff this early in the season. So could be a major shakeup, but I think, as we've talked before, this is kind of something we saw coming last season when Brad just waited and waited and waited and they finally announced just a one-year deal to return to Team Penske where he's been at for the last several years, won a championship with this team in 2012. But it's just kind of seeming like he's at this stage in his life when he wants to kind of take that next step, which ownership might be that. He did, again, if you guys remember, owned Brad Keselowski Racing in the Truck Series where Ryan got one of his first breaks into NASCAR and obviously launched him into being a Team Penske uh, development driver and now eventually driver of the number 12 for that team. So Ryan owes, I think, a lot to Brad over the years. Definitely gave him a shot, definitely mentored him a little bit over his career. So it would be kind of bittersweet to see Brad leave this team, but to me it kind of makes sense. kind of seems like it's time. What's interesting is, is how professional he's been through all this. There may have been some gripes, and groans about some things that have happened in the last year or two, and you haven't really heard heard that. You haven't really, you know, everything is speculation. He's never really like yelled about anything or complained about anything. Um, so the move may have been in, in the making for a year. You don't know really. Um, the timing may not have been right last year, and now the timing is right. Uh, the story has seemed to have been corroborated by a couple other sources. They pretty much are sure the deal's going to get done. Uh, just a matter of when at this point, I think. Um, what's interesting is is it, it kind of sets in motion all these things with Penske now, too, where they've got people that, you know, the Austin Sindrick thing was going to happen. DiBedetto was going to get pushed out, and he wasn't sure where he was going to land. So this all kind of sets up now where everybody has a spot to land, which is kind of nice, too, so they don't lose anybody in the organization, per se. Um, unfortunately, uh, Brad is a great teammate, and he definitely is is part of the reason why Ryan is where he's at. Um, so that part of it kind of sucks because you lose that kind of experience and some of the uh, you know that 
during a practice or something like this weekend, you can talk to, well, it did this or it did that. And, and, you know, and, and he's got that feedback that, um, an experience that maybe hardly anybody out there has. So it, it'll be rough to kind of lose that kind of institutional memory within the organization. Um, but on the other hand, like you said, I think he's looking toward the future. And if anybody can turn something around, I think he's the, definitely a guy who could do it for Roush Fenway. Very, very smart guy. We don't know what this means for Team Penske. We're, you know, you just kind of threw out some scenarios there. Um, all speculation on our part. Again, all speculation that this happens. As you said, several other media members have come out and said, like, yeah, this is what my sources have been talking about, but it didn't seem like they were necessarily comfortable with coming out with the story Jim Utter was and, and broke the story for now. So we'll see what happens. My first thought to you was, does this mean... Ryan moves to the two car. The two car's kind of been the premier car for Team Penske over the years. It's a number that's coveted. It's a number that, you know, Rusty Wallace drove. It's a number, you know, several prominent drivers have driven over the years for this team. And it's it's been a spot where Roger has wanted to put uh, an important driver there. So my first thought was, does that mean all of this happens? Ryan moves to the two. I don't think Joey Logano is going anywhere from the 22. He's already won a championship in that car. Your thoughts immediately were, Ryan's already built his brand around the 12. And I kind of jokingly said, I'm totally fine with him staying in the 12 because if you look around the room that I'm recording in right now, if you go ahead and look in my dresser drawers, um, there's some 21 Wood Brothers gear definitely piled up down in there. But I've got, yeah, just an insane amount of number 12 uh, <laughs> paraphernalia, merchandise, uh, sticker on the back of my car, hats, t-shirts, uh, everything you name it, uh, I have it. So I would, it would be unfortunate to have to go out again and buy a bunch of two gear. But who knows what will happen? I know it's just been a thing in the past that Penske has shuffled the the deck a little bit, moved some guys around from some of the other cars, and and put them into the more prominent numbers that they've had over the years. So all speculation. You just mentioned that maybe this means De Benedetto doesn't have to leave the team anymore. Roger Penske and, and Tim Sindrick and that organization has said that they do have the option in his contract to keep Matt De Benedetto for another year in some capacity. Um, maybe this opens the door for him. Again, complete speculation. None of this could happen. But opens the door for him to stay at the Wood Brothers or for him to take over the two car if, if they are um, they really believe that he can get the job done. Um, in that elite of a car on the Cup Series circuit. So who knows what's going to happen. They could totally go to left field. They could bring somebody else in. Um, they can lure away someone else from another team. They could find a, a hot free agent uh, going into the offseason. You never know what's going to happen, but I don't think any of this is going to be resolved until uh, we're in the in the playoffs, So, or at least right after the end of the year. So it's kind of interesting or i don't it's kind of funny or crazy that the story breaks so early in the season when it's not even close to being silly season just yet but this might be a very interesting uh silly season period for nascar this year as a bunch of new ownership is rumored to come into the sport with the next gen car debuting and you just don't know what drivers are going to go where um ryan's already locked up with a multi-year deal that he signed at the end of last year i believe so um Again, total speculation. You could tweet at us, send us some messages on Facebook or something with what you guys think is going to happen with Team Penske, but I think that's pretty much the only information we're going to have for quite a long time. But I will echo the words that you just said, Steve, and say that uh, Keselowski has been nothing but professional, and that's kind of been the MO over his career. He's had a few run-ins with uh, fellow teammate Joey Logano over the years, um, including in the Daytona 500 this year. 
they still kind of handled all of that behind closed doors professionally. Um, so I really, again, appreciate everything that he's done for Ryan's career in the past and giving him the breaks that he needed to make it to this elite level in NASCAR. So regardless of what he does, I wish him well. It'll be very weird um, seeing him in another car next year if that indeed does happen. And it'll be an interesting dynamic between Logano and Ryan racing against Brad uh, totally as a competitor, a competitor and not just a teammate. So, Steve, I think that wraps up this edition of the Team Blaney podcast. I want to thank everyone for tuning into this episode. If you'd like to learn more about myself or co-host Steve, please listen to our first episode that really dives deep into how we both became fans of the Blaney racing family. If you'd like to interact with us, you can find Team Blaney on Twitter at Team Blaney and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Team Blaney. And then don't forget to download, rate, subscribe to the Team Blaney podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps including apple google iHeartRadio, spotify all of them you can find the team blaney podcast on and give us a like i said rate send a message um give us some sort of a review just to let us know how we're doing whether it's on those podcast apps or it's through social media just let us know how we're doing we love to hear from you guys once again to close out the show we want to remind you to check out the ryan blaney family foundation this organization established in 2018 supports causes that have closely impacted the blaney family including the alzheimer's association and upmc sports medicine you can find out more about the foundation on its website ryanblaneyfamilyfoundation.org or on twitter at rbfamfoundation and then finally on facebook.com slash rbfamilyfoundation for my co-host steve mez I'm Adam Rogers. We'll catch you next week on the Team Blaney Podcast.